I am excited, uh, truly excited to be able to share over the next seven weeks with you from the book of Colossians. Um, Picture this. You are a waiter in the best restaurant in town. I mean, it's got a statewide, national reputation. You're a waiter. And behind these doors where you serve is a world-famous chef. And that's how I feel as a minister of the gospel. Because what we have to serve this morning is a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. And beloved, this is authored by God, and it is my privilege to serve it to you. And so, uh, as we read the letter of Colossians, as we study this over the next seven weeks, I just pray that our hearts will be open and we can receive the message God has for each one of us. It's important for us to understand the God of heaven is very personally concerned about you, about each one of us. And so he, he gave us the scripture, He gave us the Word of God to know His heart. And I just trust as we read this together, um, our hearts will be blessed. Now what we're going to be doing is like when Pastor Bill asked me if I'd be willing to teach a series on Colossians this spring, I was really excited about that. I mean, he gave me one of the... This is one of my favorite dishes, if you will. And uh, this is one of my favorite menu items in God's New Testament uh, lineup, New Testament menu. But I want us to get a feel for the whole book. So what I'm going to encourage you all to do over the next seven weeks is to be reading through the book of Colossians at home. I know many of you are reading through the entire Bible in the Daily Walk program when we're talking about that in Sunday school. But I want to encourage you, don't just limit yourself to the chapter that we read this morning, but go home and read Colossians. It doesn't take long. It takes about, if you sat down and read it from front to back, it takes about 12 or 15 minutes. It's not a long book, but its message is a very wonderful message of hope and encouragement. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read the entirety of the first chapter, then we'll pray, and this morning our lesson will be focused on the first 13 verses. So, if you have your Bible open, uh, why don't you go ahead and open it to the New Testament book of Colossians, and we'll read from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is being bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the days you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
He, now this is speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body. The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Excuse me. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, As we come to the Word this morning, we want to open our hearts to the truth of the Scripture. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit would come, He would teach us all things and bring to our remembrance the things that You had shared when You walked on the earth in the Gospel. And so, Holy Spirit, as we have this letter from Paul to the Colossians, we pray, God, that we would receive it this morning as a a letter to the folks at the Grace Fellowship Church in Preston, Idaho. Pray that we would be fully willing to listen with our hearts and then, Lord, to live this passage out in our lives. And we do pray that you would open our eyes to understand wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's very important for us. I have a passage um, here in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Let's read this together, shall we? For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Two things I, I think are very important to see. Number one, the first purpose, when, when this was written, Paul wrote this to the Romans, Paul was referring to Old Testament Scripture. Those, for them, they didn't have the Bible as we have it now. That was the things that were written in former days. 
the Old Testament Scripture. Now we have the benefit of the Word of God, and we look back and we read the New Testament. And we could say this, would this be true about the New Testament? This was written in former days, right? First thing is, it was written for our what? Instruction. It is important for us to know the what of God's uh, plan, how God wants us to understand Him and live. We need instruction. But if all I had was instruction and it never hit my heart in a, in a way that it came out in my life, I would, be, I would be in a miserable state. But we have instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And I would submit to you that hope, when the, when the New Testament talks about hope, we'll talk about this a little more, isn't just a hope so. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know what your plans are this afternoon, but if you're hoping to be outdoors, you might hope it doesn't rain. I don't think it's going to. But the hope that Christian has is a very different hope. It's a confident expectation of what God has said He has promised He will do. That is a solid hope. Very different than I don't know for sure. It's a hope that we have through Christ. The Bible says we get that hope through what? The encouragement of the Scriptures. Okay, so let's go back and let's begin. And we'll work our way through Colossians chapter 1. Like I said, we're just going to be going through the first 13 verses this morning. Introduction to the book of Colossians. There on your outline. I don't have anything. We're not going to put anything up on the screen. But if you want to take some notes, that's fine. But let's think about what do we know from the Scripture about the book of Colossians. Well, if you look at verse 1, and I said, who is the writer? Well, you could correct me and say, well, Jeff, it appears that there are two. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So it doesn't sound like the apostle is just writing this on his own. This letter was written in the latter part of Paul's uh, ministry. It's called one of the prison letters. And so Paul is in prison. And I believe this is the, the Roman uh, imprisonment. And he's writing uh, there to the church of Colossae. We will find out as we go through the next seven weeks that Paul never really got to Colossae. If we read the book of Acts and we watch what he does on his missionary journey, he goes to Ephesus and he goes to Laodicea, but he doesn't ever go to Colossae. Colossae was kind of out of the way. And if you were looking at a map of the Middle East, you would have Ephesus. This would be like the Mediterranean Sea. And then you would have Ephesus up here on this little uh, it had a sea outlet, but then about a hundred miles inland. See, am I doing this right? It'd be, yeah, it'd be that. It, on a map, it would be a hundred miles to the east. There would be the town of Colossae, and it was kind of off the road and on the road. When I say off the road, um, it wasn't as famous as Hierapolis or Laodicea, which was like a religious center and a commercial center. It was kind of a like a Preston, a little bit out of the way. But it was also on the road to the Far East, the, the road that joined to Ro- that linked the Far East to Rome, went through that valley, and in, a, in that way, the church at Colossae, or the Colossians, were affected by teachings from the East. And so when Paul writes this letter, Paul and Timothy write this letter, um, we're going to see the concerns he addresses. You can almost tell what are the problems in Colossae by the things the Apostle addresses. Okay, if, um, 
if you were to come to my house and you would just listen to me talk, and I'm telling this child to sit down, I'm telling this child to be quiet, I'm telling this child to mind his mother, you might think to yourself, oh, these children have a hard time sitting down, doing what they're told, mind them. Because you're listening to what I'm telling them, right? So what we're doing is we're going to listen to what Paul says to the Colossians, and we're going to kind of conclude, after we read it, oh, those were the things they were struggling with. Okay, so we'll come across these problems, we'll deal with them as we come. And so, one of the things that we're going to read about in the, in the Colossian church was there, some, there were some problems with heresy. Okay, now heresy is when someone wants to teach something contrary to what the Bible says. And the Colossians had some of this heresy going on, and Paul is going to address that. Some of that came from these Eastern mysticism and things like that. Some of this came from Jewish believers in the community who were trying to enforce the Colossians with an Old Testament law of do's and don'ts and uh, Jewish regulations. But there was also some other things troubling this church where they had put simple faith in Christ as... Um, they had kind of put simple faith in Christ aside and they were trying to make coming to Christ a more difficult procedure than it needed to be. And Paul is going to call them back to faith in Christ and what he's going to do throughout this book is he is going to hold up Jesus Christ as the head. It's a wonderful book. In the same way, Ephesians says that um, the church is the body of Christ and talks a lot about the body. The, the book of Colossians says Christ is the head of the church. So we're going to see him develop this as he goes along. So let's go ahead and get started. But remember this, the book of Colossians, can you say the word preeminent? Preeminent. What does preeminent mean? I looked it up. It means first and foremost. It means uh, important above everything else to have preeminence. If there was an expert on archaeology and he had studied and had many degrees, he would be the most preeminent uh, uh, voice or opinion on the subject, perhaps. Most important. In the book of Colossians, remember this, folks. Christ, Christ is preeminent. Christ is lifted up. Christ is seen as the head of the church. And that's what he's going to focus on. Okay, let's go ahead and look at your outline here. First of all, Paul starts out in verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Okay, that's great. Paul is always thanking God for these Colossian Christians, these faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. And he says, When I pray... I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. What is Paul thankful for? Look what it says. It says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Alright? First blank. Always thankful for your faith. That's what he's thankful for. He says, I am thankful that all of you have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. Without faith, what's the Bible say? For without faith, it is impossible to please God. No one can come to God unless they first believe that He is. And He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God, we must come to God by faith in Christ. He says, first of all, I'm thankful that all of you believe. You have put your faith, saving faith in Christ Jesus. What happened as a result of that 
was there was also something else Paul was thankful for. They had joined together as the body of Christ. And what were they doing? It says here, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Your faith didn't just save you so that you could walk around with a save badge. Got my save badge. Oh, I pulled the wrong thing. I got my save badge. Here's my save badge. Do you have a save badge? I'm saved. No, their save badge turned their lives upside down and now they were concerned about others. Jesus would say this. Here's how people are going to know that you're my disciples. Do you remember what he said? When you show love for one another, that's how the world's going to know you're my disciples. These folks had put their faith in Christ and it was coming out of their lives in a way that they were concerned about others besides themselves. Their love for all the saints. All the saints? Why is it important for you to love all the saints? We're a family, a little larger family. If you didn't know, there are 13, we have 13 children, the two of us. I mean, sometimes our house is crowded. I remember back in 2010 when my daughter lost her husband and she moved back home. I, there were 17 of us in a house. That's a lot of folks. Do you love everybody? Well, if you're going to get along, you're going to have to love everybody. And even sometimes you have to love people that are hard to love. Okay? And so God says, but you love all the saints. Now, what was the basis of their love? What was the basis? Okay, Ken will show us. Because of their what? Go ahead, Ken. Their hope in the gospel. That's what it says. It says, you all love the saints because of your hope in the gospel. Your hope in the gospel. And again... Their hope in the gospel wasn't a hope so, hope so. Their their gospel hope was, look at their gospel hope, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this which you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. Their hope was laid up for them in heaven. It was kind of like having your grandmother die and put a quarter of a million dollars in your bank account. That would be nice. Don't wait for it. Most of you shouldn't be waiting for that. But imagine this. It is a sure thing. This hope for them is laid up in heaven. They have this gospel hope. The hope in the gospel. And that allows them to love one another. They have faith in Christ. It's all because of what God has done. So, Paul says, first of all, I'm thankful for your faith in Christ. And the love you have for all the saints. And because ultimately, that is rooted in your hope. You believe in God. It's an firm, eternal hope. You have this hope in the gospel. Now, there's a few notes here we want to cover about the gospel. Look, if you would, please, for me, from verses 5 through 7. What can you learn about the gospel in verses 5 through 7? I have six things I want to share. See if you can see some of these things as we read it. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, parenthesis, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. He says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, beloved fellow servant. And then it talks a little bit about Epaphras. Let's stop there. First of all, first thing we see is this. The God... Does anyone remember in the Greek language the word gospel? 
What is the word gospel translated from a Greek word? A literal translation of the Greek word that we get our word gospel is what? Good news. I have good news. If I stood up here this morning and said, Hey, folks, guess what? I have good news. You're all like, what's the good news? What is the gospel good news? The gospel good news is this. Someone who is born into sin and who sins a lot can come to faith in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says what? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God through my Jesus. That is good news. That is good news. And it doesn't matter if you're, you're six and, and the only sins you've ever committed are lying and being naughty and disobedient to your parents. Or if you're 36, God forbid, and you're on death row for mass murder. You can come to God through faith in Christ and have Him pay for all your sins. Is that good news this morning? If you have had your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ this morning, brothers and sisters, is this good news? Are you happy about this? Do you wake up in the morning and go, Wow! It's kind of like on my way to hell. But because of my Jesus, I have a hope in heaven because of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Number one, it's good news. Number two, look what it says here. You have heard before the word of the truth. The gospel is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm life. No man comes unto the Father unless they come by me. Jesus said, I am the truth. And I came with Jesus said, I got the good news and it is the truth. It is the gospel. Number three, the gospel is for all the world. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at what it says in verse six, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. The gospel isn't limited. We used to sing that little song, Jesus loves the little children. Remember that song? Jesus loves the little children, red and yellow, black and white. They are. Remember that? It doesn't matter how old, how young, what color, how rich, how poor, how educated or ignorant of edu- formal education you are. The good news is it's for the whole world. What else do we read here? It bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. Look what it says there. In the whole world, it is bearing fruit. It is bearing fruit. What does a grape branch have to do to bear fruit? Hint, think John 15. Um, abide in the vine. Isn't that great? Abiding in the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. Right? One man said it this way. I am divine. I am divine. You are the branches. When you abide in Jesus, what do you do? You bear fruit, right? A branch doesn't have to work hard at bearing fruit, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will bear, we will bear fruit, beloved. And that's what it is. He says the gospel is in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and it is increasing. It bears fruit and increases. What else does it do? Well, it tells of God's grace. Look at this. As it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, the gospel tells of grace. Grace, the, word, the Greek word grace, could also be con- uh, uh, interpreted gift. God's gift to you, God's grace to us, beloved, allows us to believe God's grace to us is His gift. It is a gospel of grace. And lastly, how does the gospel go from one person to another? I mean, from the very beginning, how did Jesus 
determined that the good news would go from these 12 men that he had appointed to all of us today. How did the gospel get here? How did the gospel get to you? The other night, Brenda was praying, and she had a birthday, by the way, turned 52. She doesn't look like she's 52, does she? She's, she was praying one morning and she said, Lord, I just want to thank you. I think it was on her birthday. As I think back, somewhere in my family, great, 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 how, how, many, how far back someone heard the gospel and believed. How did they hear the gospel, beloved? The gospel is passed from person to person. The gospel is passed on by people. And that's what it says here. You learned it from who? A, a fellow named Epaphras. Paul was over here in Ephesus and he was there for three years and he was teaching. And the Bible says as a result of his teaching in Ephesus, the gospel spread throughout the whole world. How did it get there? Guys like Epaphras would come to uh, Ephesus. Epaphras in Ephesus. Say that five times. Um, Epaphras is in Ephesus and he's like, yes! He heard the gospel and he believes. But he doesn't just go home to Colossae and go... Kind of got some good news. He goes home and he starts telling. He meets John and he tells Jim and they meet with Tyler and they pass it on to Doug and Doug passes it on to all his kids. And it just is like spreading because people are sharing the good news. It's passed on from person to person. Okay, Paul does this in his introduction. Just He's putting the gospel out there. This is the gospel just as you learned it. He, and then he has this little parenthesis, if you will, of Epaphras. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras goes from Ephesus where he heard Paul's preach. He goes to Colossae. He preaches. He preaches. He shares the good news so effectively a church starts, folks. And now... There's some problems, and we can read in the book of Acts. Epaphras goes over here to Rome. He goes clear over to Rome to visit Paul in prison because he's got some concerns about this little church he started back home. And and that is why this letter is written. We'll find out later. Not only is this Epaphras willing to go to Rome and get some advice from the apostle, he's willing to pray Labor fervently over this church. He helps start by sharing the gospel. Now, Paul goes from there, and Paul goes into verse 9, and he says, And so, here's the deal. From the day I heard of you all becoming Christians. From the day, it says, look, let's read together, verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Wow, we have an apostle praying for this church. My question is, I don't want us to think of this letter as the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Think of this as God's letter of the Colossians to all of us. What does the Bible tell us about the role of Jesus Christ? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is able to save you and me completely because he always lives to pray for us. What do you think of that? Up in heaven, I like the picture because God is... Where is Jesus seated? At the right hand of God. So if God's throne is here, front and center, that means we look to the left and there is another throne. Who's on the throne? Jesus. What is He doing? The Bible says He always lives to pray for you. Is that good news, Darcy? That's good news. 
just to think about Jesus praying for me is very humbling. To think Jesus is praying for me? Think about Jesus praying this prayer for you. The same prayer that the Apostle prays for the Colossians. Jesus praying for you. What's he praying? Let's look at this. Okay, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What are you praying? Asking that you may be, help us out here, Ken, filled with the knowledge of God's will. First and foremost, the Apostle wants you to know what you're supposed to do. Have you ever had a sense where I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do? That can kind of leave you in a quandary, spinning your wheels. But he says, I want you to know, first and foremost, God's will. I want you to know God's will. How, do you, how much do you want us to know this, Paul? He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I don't want you to just kind of have an inkling. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. All right, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, With all, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now this is important. The word, the word translated wisdom here is really like a knowledge of what's most important. It's a, it's a, that wisdom isn't just worldly wisdom. I, I, when I went to college, I knew some professors, and some of these guys were really smart about some stuff like chemistry or physics. But this spiritual wisdom has to do with an understanding of what's most important. You might call it first principles or, or the, the w- wisdom that has to do with God. Godly wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and all understanding. Again, back to the Greek word. The Greek word that was translated into our word understanding we could say, you could say it this way. It's the ability to apply. Okay? Paul, Paul is praying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom, under, uh, wisdom, knowledge about the most important things, and an understanding, how do I apply it? How do I put this into my life on Tuesday? So, that's what he's praying. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and watch the clauses. Do you see this? So that, right? What was the last one? The because, right? Because of your hope in the gospel. Here's a so that. It's important as we read the Bible to look at the so that because the so that's and the therefore's tell us what it's there for, right? They, they help us... Um, Understand, God is saying, I want you to do this so that you can do something else. What does he say? So that, and this, this gets back to one of our theme verses for the year, Colossians 1.10, so that you may what? Help us out, Ken. So that you can walk. I want you to have this wisdom. I want you to be able to apply it so that you can walk worthy of the Lord. Now, again, do you think this is talking about so that when you walk down the street... You know how to walk one foot in front of the other? I think it would be better for us to say, so that you can conduct yourself. So that your life, your life walk, the way that you live your life out with your wife and family, with your husband or your children, at your work, wherever you're at in the community, you can walk in a way that is four things. Four things. I want your conduct to be worthy of the Lord. Now, I think this is important. 
We make a bit of a distinction here. Some people... Think of it this way. If you were adopted into a royal family, okay, and um, maybe when you're a part of royalty, uh, there are certain things you do and you don't do. How many of you mothers like to have your children, maybe your dads, because my boy can play this with my peas at the table. I do not like you to what, Johnny? What don't I like you to do? Just tell me. Don't slurp. When you eat your soup, I don't want to hear the... I hate that noise. I'm like, stick your spoon in your mouth, close your mouth, lift over the spoon, pull it out. No problem. I don't want to hear you slurping. Now, I am not a royal family. But imagine this. If you, as you were a peasant from a family that had no manners or any other, or any social skills, if you were adopted into a royal family, right... And now, in the royal family, we don't slurp. We sit up straight at the table. That's one of Brenda's things. Okay? Boys don't slurp. Sit up at the table. And there would be maybe a list of things that you would do in your walk, in your conduct, when it says, worthy of the Lord. This isn't, we're not doing these things in order that God will adopt me into his family. We're adopted. Okay? We're adopted. And we'll talk later on next week about where we were and we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the message, but your walk should be worthy of royalty. Your walk should be pleasing to Jesus. Paul said in, in um, Corinthians, he says, I make it my goal. I make it my goal to please God. I've been adopted by God into his family, but now as his adopted child, I want to do what pleases him. Parents, how does it make you feel when your children do whatever they can do to please you? Well, that'd be nice have a kid like that, right? It makes us, it blesses us, it pleases us, right, John? You've got two children. When your children are doing things that please you, hey, man, we, this is great. All right, so uh, we can walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him. Here's this bearing fruit. Real quick, Galatians, right? What is some of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Patience and long suffering, gentleness. Is this the kind of fruit that you're bearing at your house? Gentleness, self-control. Those are the kind of things that God says. I want you to be doing these things because of this. We're walking worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God. All of this is really good. The more you know about God, the more you love God. The more you love God, the more you realize He loves you. This can be cyclical. Right? I I find out how much God loves me. And the more that I know, the more I love Him. And it just kind of goes like this. And this is what God wants. However, I believe that when Paul talks about this, if, if he left us here, I want you all to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In all spiritual wisdom and other things, so that you can do this. Is this encouraging, or does this feel like your your uh, your professor just laid a whole bunch of homework on you? Like, man, how can I do that? Because I get to do this and this, and I feel a little tired already. But that's not the end of the apostles' prayer. Look at the next section. It says here. Paul says, I have not ceased to pray for you that you could, first thing, is be filled with the knowledge of His will. 
so as to walk, right? Fully pleasing to Him, increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at verse 11. How does it start? May you be strengthened. Whoa. Okay, let's see the next one, Ken. May you be strengthened with all what? Power. Okay. Now, this is encouraging. Okay? Because not only are we going to be strengthened with all power, uh, whose power? According to His glorious might. I remember, and maybe I've used this example before, but I remember sharing with a group of junior high students that if I told you that what I want you to do is get into your little car, and most most junior high students don't think of themselves as owning a race car when they get their license. If they're like they, they own like a 2003 Corsica, you know, or something like that, or a Volkswagen or something. But imagine this: if God were to attach a rocket to your Corsica, your 2002 Corsica has got a rocket attached to it. Now Riley is smiling. She thinks, "Wow, that would be kind of fun. You get a Corsica with a rocket attached to it. Wouldn't that be a whoa?" Well, look. Listen to this, beloved. Paul is praying that you could be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And here's another. Here's another four. See that? Don't miss it. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For what is the for? Therefore. For endurance and patience with joy. Okay. The Christian walk, God sets out all these things. I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. I want you to walk pleasing to Him. I want you to walk bearing fruit. I want you to walk increasing in knowledge. And you say, Lord, how am I to do that? Next verse, he says, I'm praying that God will fill you with all power. According to His glorious might. What's that look like, folks? Here's someone who holds lightning in his hands. Here's someone who made the world with his word. Here's someone who creates galaxies by a thought. He said, he spoke, and it was there. Now you've got that kind of might and that kind of power for endurance and patience. This is important. Is the Christian life easy or difficult? You're in the world, you're not of the world. Easy or difficult? Thank you. It is not easy to go against the grain, if you will. How... Do you still have flesh and blood? And what is your flesh and blood going to do? Be lazy, be lustful, be lying, be lots of other things to start with. You know, hey, that's the Christian. The heart without Christ, my natural man, is this way. Paul talks about in Romans 7. He says, the things that I would do, I don't. The things I know I should do, I don't. I don't. The things I don't, I shouldn't do, I do. The things I should do, I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am. He asks a question. He says this. Who shall deliver me? Remember that? He says, who shall deliver me? Now, I said this. If you're taking a test, anybody in high school, Kayla, you're in high school, you're a junior, right? And you're taking a test, and the, and, and the test says who, don't say electricity. Okay? It's not a power. Electricity is a power. Don't say Kansas City. That's a place. When the question says who, what kind of an answer do you need? A name. That's right. If the question says, who shall deliver me? Paul says, oh, wretched man of man, who shall deliver me? And the, he answers the question with what? What's the name? I thank God through Jesus Christ. 
And the same way here, folks, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. The word endurance, interesting word, is the ability to deal triumphantly. And in this case with life. When he says, I'm praying for God's power for you to have joy, to be able to do this with joy, you're going to need endurance. And that is the ability to uh, deal triumphantly with life. To deal triumphantly. He says, I don't want you just to endure. There can be endurance. Someone could be enduring something and have a really bad attitude about it, right? I hate my job. I hate my job. I go to my job. I hate my job. I'm just kind of enduring it so I can do something else. Right? That's not how it's painted here. I I want you to be able to deal triumphantly with life. And I want you to have patience. This patience, interestingly enough, this is a patience which no person can defeat. The word endurance has to do with the circumstances of his life, but the word patience is more often used when it comes to dealing with people. Right? be pretty good if you didn't have troublesome people to deal with, right? If, all, if your life was eliminated of troublesome people, right? What a great life. Unfortunately, if those you live with, lives were eliminated of troublesome people, you would be eliminated, right? You wouldn't be there. But here's the plan. God wants us to endure. He wants us to thrive, deal triumphantly. And He wants us to be able to handle all kinds of people with joy. Beloved, would you agree with me? You can't do this on your own strength. That's why the Apostle is praying this. I want you to be strengthened with God's mighty power so that you can live this kind of a joyful, joy-filled, triumphant life. And then he says this. Giving thanks. A joy-filled, triumphant, overcoming life that's done with patience is going to result in thanksgiving. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Because I realize, Lord, I do not... Do you you remember hearing the story about the man who said, Lord, this is so far today, this has been a great day. I haven't yielded to any temptations. I haven't done anything sinful or... Uh, out of anger. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> that is the Christian life, right? How many of you get out of bed and going to do this on your own strength? We can't. That's okay, because that's what this verse is heading is. We understand we have this mighty power of God to help us handle life circumstances with and deal with people with joy, and I'm in a position where I can give thanks. I am a thankful person. Do you know that thankful people have a hard time being bitter people? Find someone who's struggling with bitterness, and I bet they're also struggling with thankfulness. But if you find someone who has had life happen in such a way that it hurts real bad, and according to Ephesians, giving thanks when? Always for what? All things. You find a person who believes that, obeys that, even if they don't feel like it, you will not find a bitter person. Okay? Because I'm thanking God for all these circumstances that are working Christ in me. And you know what? I'm giving thanks. Who am I giving thanks to? Help us here, Ken. I'm giving thanks to the Father. Now, I want you to look at this last passage here um, that we're going to look at here in closing. We're going to give thanks to the Father. And then Paul kind of goes into a little bit of a, a description, if you will, of what the Father has done. I don't know how, what kind of a relationship you had with your father. I had a very good relationship with my father. My dad became a Christian when he was 27 after being a drunkard for many years. And um, 
that difference made all the difference in our family. And I grew up with a dad who was loving and a dad who was kind. But look at what this, this Paul is reminding us of our father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our father in heaven, who has adopted us into his family. It says he has done what? First thing, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Okay? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Back to the adoption thing. Imagine being adopted into a family that was extremely wealthy. What did you do to be adopted? No. You did nothing. He came to you. You were a, a brat in an orphanage that was desolate and run down and he adopted you. But what he does after he adopts you is he qualifies you to become an heir. Now he puts you in his will. What do you think of that, folks? Adopted into an enormously wonderful, wealthy and blessed and holy, in this case, family. And God, it says, he qualified you. Who did the qualifying? Yeah, God did. It says, He qualified you to do what? Share in the inheritance. You have become an heir because He qualifies you. That's amazing. What else has He done? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Okay? What did Jesus tell the folks that day? He says, You are of your father, the devil. I have a different father. He says, you're of your father, the devil. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. John uh, Newton, right? Amazing Grace. Remember that hymn? Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. We are delivered from the domain of darkness. When we go back to your first blank, he says... Thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus. When a soul places their faith in Christ Jesus, we are delivered from the domain of darkness. And what? Transferred. Don't forget the deliverance. God took us out of the family of the devil as our father, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Is that quite a transfer? That is quite a transfer. And that is something that Paul says, this, these kind of things should make us eternally thankful. Eternally thankful for once being lost, now being found. I was blind, but now I see. Because God transferred me out of the kingdom of darkness, delivering me from that, and transferred me into the kingdom of His glorious... What does it say here? Into His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's a great place to end this message because next week we're going to pick it up right there. We've spent our last little portion of this lesson talking about the Father and everything the Father has done. Where do we start next week? We talk about the Son. So you're going to want to come back next week. <laughs> Joanne? Next week? We'll, we'll trust that you can be here. We're glad you're here. Very glad you're Alright. Okay, well, you know what, folks? I want to close today by just taking a moment. Let's just bow our heads, please. 
let's think about what we've, what we've talked about. We talked about the importance of having faith in Christ. You might ask yourself, have I placed my faith in Christ? Is this something that I have sold out to everything else that's important in Christ and Christ alone is who I place my faith in? Do you have that love for the saints and, and because of your hope in the gospel? And if you think this morning, not just the Apostle Paul praying this for the Colossians, but you think about Jesus praying for you that you could be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Lord, not only what would you have me to do, but give me the spiritual wisdom and understanding, the, the, uh, the knowledge of those important principles of God's word and the ability to apply them so that, Lord, I can walk. I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord. And I realize this morning, I don't have the power to do that. That's why he continues to pray for us. Jesus praying for us that we could be strengthened with all of his, his power according to his glorious might. He's able so that we can live a life of triumphant, overcoming with patience and endurance and joy. And God, we pray this morning that our hearts would be filled with thankfulness for a God, a Father, who is willing to adopt us and in doing so qualify us as heirs, deliver us from the darkness that held us in our sins, and transfer us, praise God, to a kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, we will... May these, these truths impress us this week, and may each one of us be drawn closer to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Pastor Bill's come. He's going to share a closing song. Let's stand together and sing a song about why we have every reason to give him thanks.